third down and 20. What is going on? Welcome back to the third and 20 podcast. My name is Frank Entwistle. We've got the main man, my co-host, Ryan Steed. What is up, Ryan? Going on. And we have a guest. We have one of the third and 20 writers on the pod, Lucas Gadelis. What's up, Lucas? Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Lucas, got um on your uh, on your column last week, you got that uh that Packers Niners game perfectly right. Exact score line. Just yeah, that was the first it. game I Yeah, I think that was the first game I got exactly correct. And of course, I didn't decide to bet on the Packers spread because I already had him in a few parlays. And I didn't want to be like, oh, I'm too exposed to the Packers if they lose. But Yeah, but that's but. pretty nuts, though. Exact score line. You know, you don't see that very often. Yeah, um, yeah if you want to <laughs> ch- make sure to check out Lucas's column on the website. He's got tons of picks. I don't even know how you do that every week. Like, what, what is the process to go through to try and predict the exact scores? So what I'll do is the first thing I'll just get um, of all the games coming up for that week. And it's really important. Like I won't look at any of the lines or the over-unders before I make the picks because I just don't want that to influence like my decisions at all. So I'll do that. And then like usually I'll have to change a few because like I'll get like the, the, um, the score that I'll do will be like exactly what the over-under or the spread is going to be. So I'll just like add or take away a point whatever but that's what i try to do and then based on what my picks are i'll i'll put like a few like i guess like higher confidence picks in the in the bet section stuff that i really like and then i'll also do like a dfs lineup at the end yeah dude i i really like your articles i think they're there's just so much content you know like so if you're interested in 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 free picks and I mean, you've been doing really well with the over-unders. I know that I'm not really a huge over-under guy. I don't think Steed really is either. We're more just spread guys, but I know I I you've had some success there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the over-unders have done pretty well. And then you get, like, straight-up picks. I've, I have a pretty good win percentage, too. Like, I compare it to, like, the ESPN people that do, like, the picks every week, and I think um, I have a better record on the season than – if not all of them, then all of them except like one or two. Oh, those the experts are doing better yeah. than the experts. So called experts. experts. Yeah, the experts that um that all picked the Bucks to win against the Saints on Sunday night. By the way, I'm um, going against my dog of the week right there. But um, let's get into the first segment. Enough of this. I'm going to share this screen real quick. This graphic. Um, we've got. The Super Bowl odds, Super Bowl winning odds, round one and round two of the playoff odds. We're going to talk about the playoff picture going on right now in the league. Um, I found this cool little website, playoffstatus.com. It shows just odds of each team making it to whatever. Um, They got the Steelers 24% chance Super Bowl winner. I think that's a little high at this point in the season, to be completely honest. I, I guess this is just based off of their algorithm. Um, I, I kind of want to ask first, this first question, what team 
that is like a Super Bowl favorite, you know, like re- doing really well in the league at the halfway point, what team do you think has the best chance of falling off? Um, out of those, dude, I'm looking at it. I, I still think it's the Packers. Like, I don't know. Like, some weeks, like – you saw when they played the Vikings like a couple weeks ago, they just looked like a completely different team. And then they can, and like we saw them play the Bucks also earlier this season, and they got dominated there too. Like I feel like if the Packers play their game, they can they can compete with anyone. They can beat anyone. Like I see why they're a huge Super Bowl favorite. But if there's like they've run into a problem or they just everybody didn't show up that day then I could easily just see them, like, falling off and losing, like, the way they did last year in the NFC Championship. And, like, I know before the season I said the Packers were frauds. I don't think they're that much frauds still, but they do have a little, like, fraud tendency still to me that if I had to pick out of the Super Bowl teams, they would be the ones that I could be like, yeah, I could see them falling off. Yeah, I I think – You can go, Lucas. Okay. Um, I think for me, I would say the Buccaneers. We're going to talk about them a little later in the podcast, but I mean, just to get blown out by the Saints like that, it's a really tough loss to take. And then in the next three weeks, they have, you know, the Rams and Chiefs coming up, which are going to be two tough games. I mean, you know, if they lose both of those games and then get another upset, you know, along the way, I mean, it's already six losses. Um, and so most likely they're going to be looking at a wild card spot if they're in the playoffs. So I don't think they're necessarily in danger of completely falling out of the playoff picture, but I think the most likely scenario right now is they're going to be kind of in a tough wild card spot, and it's going to be hard to make it out of the NFC um, with a lower seed. Yeah, they just had a really rough performance against the Saints. But like you said, we'll get into that later in the episode but for me I'm just I'm kind of curious on these round one of the playoffs I guess this is just basically their percentage chance of being in the playoffs um the two that stick out to me a little bit are the Bears here at 64 and the Browns at 57 I think that these are two teams that this website however they come up with these figures I think that's a little bit high for both of these clubs you know the Bears they started off really strong but their offense is just so ridiculously bad. Um, you know, they, they've definitely been cooling off these past couple weeks. Just that, that Titans game, I think it just really showed you, like, man, this team, they put up basically zero points for most of that game. They were literally better off punting the football every possession up until the fourth quarter, and they would have had a, a better offense statistically speaking like I don't really know if I can buy into a team like that and and the Browns ah, the Browns are just such a weird team especially now that they don't have Odell it's just tough yeah I mean, they do get Nick Chubb back it's just the in terms of all the AFC teams I think you look at the Steelers you look at the Ravens the Titans um obviously the Chiefs I just think that all those teams specifically the first three I mentioned, play a brand of physical football, and they just kind of do it at a better level than the Browns do. Not saying that the Browns aren't going to make the playoffs. They definitely do have a decent shot. 
But I, I just think that – and then you start getting into teams like the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Colts. Like I, I just like all of those teams a lot more than I like the Browns. I think that they're a team that really can easily fizzle out of this playoff scenario, even though they're getting over a 50% chance, according to this website, of making the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree, especially with the Bears. Like, them being 64% to make the playoffs is very, like, high to me because, like, you got to look at it like this. Like, whoever finished second in the NFC South is going to get a wild card spot, and then I still think it would be the second and third place team out of the West that gets uh, the uh, sixth and seventh spot. So them being at 64% doesn't make any sense to me especially just how bad their offense has been all year. It seems like they just have never really been able to get anything going. And if they have them at a higher percentage than the uh, Cardinals, I don't really understand that. You know, I think the Cardinals have played much better ball this year than the Bears have. Yeah, I guess on the on the contrary real quick, are there any teams that you guys are feeling a lot more confident in now that we've seen halfway through the season, we've seen a handful of games um, that compared to the beginning of the season, that you're like, okay, I really like these guys for maybe the playoffs if they're a fringe team or for going really far if, if they're a good team right now. I think uh, my team would be, uh, they were my uh, Super Bowl pick, but it'd be the Saints. Remember when Michael Thomas went down, they like, lost a couple games it seems like now they've really gotten their mojo back and they're just not missing beat you saw last week on Sunday night football they just destroyed the Buccaneers and told everybody this is still our division like we're still top in this NFC too so I think the Saints like have really shown like they're still an elite team even though like people earlier on were questioning them what about you Lucas do you do you have a team that you're very confident in to either make the playoffs if they're a fringe team or go really far if they're one of those top tier? I think for me, I think a team that's kind of slowed down over the last couple weeks, or I guess maybe the last week, but I think has a good shot to make a nice run in the playoffs if they make it, could be the Colts. Um, I mean, I think if Jonathan Taylor and kind of find his stride, you know, and the rest of the running game can complement them. Their defense is pretty legit. And so with a nice run game and a defense, you know, the rest of their schedule is pretty tough. Like they are going to have to go through a few contenders um, and pick up some wins to be in a position to make the playoffs. But um, I think they have the tools to win a game or two in the postseason. I've been on the Colts for a while. This is just a team that I think you're right. They don't have it all put together yet, especially on the offensive side of the football. But I think if you look at that Ravens game, that game kind of got away from a little bit, especially like once, once that Jonathan Taylor fumble return for a touchdown happened, all the momentum went to the Ravens because that Colts Mm -hmm. offense was moving the ball a lot better than I think people expected against a really good Ravens defense. It's just, you know, the turnovers, and then you you had that um that one interception that, to be completely honest, I don't think should have been an interception. The Marcus Peters one when he was falling down and they said he made a football move and fumbled. I think that that was honestly a terrible call. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, I'm a big Coming fan of the, the Colts. Fan. 
dude, I had the Ravens last week. You you think I'm out (laughs) here? Like, I I wasn't rooting against them. But, um, yeah, I I just – I think that this is a team that if they're able to find their groove and get hot at the end of the season, because now is the stretch that's really important. We have, you know, the first eight, nine, ten weeks are kind of just the setup for the finale. You know, you just – you either put yourself in a position to – to just keep how you're doing, or you you still have a chance to turn around these last couple of weeks of the season, or last bunch of weeks of the season. Um, so yeah, it's now is the time. I mean, I feel like I say it every week, but now is literally the time. You have to get hot if you want to be that team that can make a run. I mean, we saw the Titans last year; they were a team around like that week seven, eight, nine kind of mark. They started getting really hot, started just their offense. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was just going off. He, you know, right now, if you take that 16-game stretch from when he first started and then into this season, he would have had the highest single-season passer rating of all time, I'm pretty sure. So if Phillip Rivers and that Colts team are able to get really hot, they might be able to do a similar thing that the Titans were able to do last season, especially, like you said, with their running game. But we are going to move on here because I have I have a lot to say on this given subject. We're going to be talking about the Seahawks defense. And I watched a ton of film on the Seahawks defense this week, and I, I think I've got it. I think I've got the whole narrative behind what's going on. They've had, right now, they're 32nd in, in passing defense. They've had historically one of the worst defenses in recent memory, and even all time, just in terms of points given up. Um, and I, I've kind of pinpointed it down to the three to four main reasons why the Seahawks have not been performing well. And the first and foremost reason, which really shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, is there are players that are just not filling their responsibility in place, not doing their job on the play. And I know that sounds cliche, but I'll bring up a couple clips to show you that. But they're just, whether it's they're trying to account for another player's job or they're just not doing their, the plays are designed for a specific reason and certain players are not fulfilling that responsibility. And the second more obvious reason which the the Seahawks have tried to address is just their lack of pass rush. This is a team that has Mm -hmm. struggled not necessarily to get to the quarterback, but to consistently put on pressure to where a quarterback is throwing off of their spot, to where they have to think about the pass rush. This is a team that to get any sort of pass rush, they have to blitz their linebackers. Their linebackers seem to be the best pass rushers on the team, more specifically Bobby Wagner. Um, so we'll get a little bit into that from clips of the, of the last game against the Bills. And then the last one is just their zone coverage is just allowing so much space, especially their soft zone coverage. So let's get into some of the clips now on that game. Bang time. Here we go. So this is the first play I want to bring up, and this is the first play that the the Bills scored, their first touchdown. And what you're going to see here is, if you don't know, the Seahawks are primarily, they're a cover three team. 
they're going to be running three high zone a majority of their plays. They'll they'll bring in some Tampa two and some and some cover four looks, which is basically just they'll have two high safeties with the middle of the field open. But on this play, they're going to be running their cover three buzz, where you have Jamal Adams covering this little hook to curl area, one, two, three, four underneath, with one, two, three in their deep thirds. And the Bills, I mean, you have to give credit to the Bills in this game. You don't put up 44 points without having a really good game plan. So I'm going to have to shout out Brian Dable for the game plan that he came up with. And especially on concepts like these, where you're going to have John Brown at the top of the screen run a little curl with Isaiah McKenzie, a burner, running this over post route towards this pylon. And this is the first example of a player not fulfilling their responsibility on this play. You're going to see here, this corner up here, Trey Flowers, has this deep third. He has this area of space. And he's trying to cover this, this curl route that is Jamal Adams' area. And you're going to see here it's an over route to Isaiah McKenzie where he has an entire half of the field that Quandre Diggs has to cover. And this is just a essentially a blown coverage for a touchdown. There's way too much space given up. And that's just because Trey Flowers does not sink on this play, forcing Quandre Diggs to try and have to cover a burner like Isaiah McKenzie across the entire field. It's just a bad matchup. It's a, And this is just one of many plays where Seahawks players did not fulfill their responsibility. This is the second drive of the game, and this is essentially a busted play from the Bills and Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's able to just make something happen. So on this play, you're going to see – they have a zone read here on the new addition of Carlos Dunlap. And let me go a little bit. They have some sort of, like, throwback screen going on here. It's just a bad play design or a busted play, one of the two. And if you're Carlos Dunlap here, your main responsibility is setting this edge. You cannot let anyone get outside of you. And he gets caught up. This is a man coverage look. He gets caught up on this play action because he sees Stephon Diggs sneaking behind the offensive line so I can see what he's thinking here and I see what he sees he's saying okay I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try and chuck give a little hit onto Stefan Diggs so that you don't have an easy throw for Josh Allen here the problem with that is that there's already a guy Trey Flowers I believe it is in man coverage <laughs> on Stefan Diggs this is just clearly a player that is trying to do someone else's role. These plays are designed so that each person has their responsibility. The Patriots say it all the time, and it's really cliche, do your job. This is just another example of a player not doing their job and trying to do someone else's. And this lets Josh Allen get the edge. And this is a play that could have easily been a sack. It turns into a seven-yard gain plus a horse collar tackle on second and goal at the 10. So you turn what could be a third and goal at the 10 to 15 to 8-yard line into a first and goal at the 1. It's a minimum a four-point swing. Like third and goal at the 12, you could even be the historically worst pass defense in the NFL and still cover that. So it's just 
these stupid mistakes that are killing this Seattle Seahawks football team, turning a long third and goal into a first and goal fresh out of downs. And it just keeps going on and on and on. You're going to see here, this is the player they traded two first-round picks for. This is Jamal Adams with a clear, a clear mistake. There's going to be a five-man rush. You have one, two, three underneath defenders with your three over-top defenders. And you can, you can say that the Seattle Seahawks pass rush is bad. But Green over here gets clean through and forces Josh Allen to step up in the pocket. It's just this is just another another time where a player's trying to do too much. It seems like Jamal Adams is going to come up and try to sack and, and assist in the pass rush of Josh Allen. He lets Devin Singletary sneak through, and once Devin Singletary catches this ball, guess where he goes? To where Jamal Adams should be right here. He this is another play. This is a could be sack, maybe a small gain for Devin Singletary that turns into a 22-yard play, fresh set of downs at the goal line. Like, are you really going to blame? I see people online blaming the, the Seahawks, you know, Pete Carroll, the defensive coordinator, the staff. Are you really going to – is this a bad play call? Or is just, just, this just an example of a player trying to do too much, just not fulfilling their responsibility on the play? I guess you also have to shout out – the threat of Josh Allen's legs on that play as well, because if that's someone like Joe Flacco, Jamal Adams is not going to bite on that run. No offense yeah. to Joe Flacco or anything, but you're yeah, just not going to. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that this is like a, a bad decision here by Jamal Adams? Because this is a little bit ambiguous here, what he should do. Regardless, yeah. it's just a bad angle. But you got to remember, too, that Jamal Adams hasn't played that many games with the Seahawks yet. I, what was that, like his third or fourth game? He's been hurt for a while. Like, is it uh, – did the injury have to do something with it? You know, like he hasn't been in the system that much with it. Like, and we, like, brought that play with Dunlap earlier. I mean, that's his first game. Like, it, the silver lining for the Seahawks are that – you know, it can only get better. Like, I still think the defense could turn it around, especially, like, if you're picking up, like, it just seems like the players are not where they should supposed to be, maybe doing too much. But, like, Dunlap did have a decent game. I, he had a sack and a couple more tackles. And Jamal Adams, you know, I, even though he's been a question in coverage to me, like, especially this year, I, I think we all know what he brings to the table. And I, I – yeah, but I do. I think it has to be like on the players because I've seen it too, where like people are blaming coaching. I I can't blame coaching. You're just blowing up your assignment. Like you're just not not where you're supposed to be. Well, yeah, on this play too, you can clearly see this is a should have been sack. Rashawn, I think it's Rashawn Green. One of their he was a third round pick a couple years ago. He clearly beats his guy. And has a play on Josh Allen in the backfield. We can get a second angle on it over here. Like, this should be a sack. 100%. That should be a sack. And if the, my argument is that if it's not a sack, you need to eat that up. You have – this is a great play call. And it, and it works. They get pressure on the quarterback with the five-man rush. They force Josh Allen to check it down to Devin Singletary, where you have Bobby Wagner, all-pro middle linebacker, and Jamal Adams, all pro, arguably best safety, within five yards of him. 
if you're the Seahawks staff, you can't ask for a better situation to put your defense in, I feel like. And you get pressure on the quarterback. So I think you're right. Like, the players just need to come up here and make a play. This is just bad by – and these are top players on this defense that are screwing up. It's not like this is, you know, Joe Schmo, sixth-round pick, filling in for, for an injury over here. This is the guy that you traded two first-round picks for, and then some, and Schmo you're, you know, you're all-pro middle linebacker. Yeah. But let, let's not forget, Trey Flowers is – a walking trash can, okay? He has been since day one. You know my hatred for Trey Flowers, man. I told you last year watching, the like, whenever I bet on the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl and I just watched the games, I'd be like, dude, he sucked. I don't think I've ever seen him make a play. Like, he's just terrible. Well, yeah, now I'm going to transition here to show a couple clips of that exact problem you're talking about. Trey Flowers and Dunbar – Dunbar was playing hurt. He probably should not have been on the field because he was getting no, picked yeah, on all day. No, I was going to say about Dunbar. Yeah, he's battling with injury. But right here, the Seahawks are just going to be in their cover four, so they're going to have these four guys over the top with these three underneath, just rushing four. And just, just look at this zone. There's so much space for Josh Allen. Not only is there absolutely zero pass rush, He's going to throw it to Gabriel Davis over here. There's not a guy within 10 yards of him. Like, this is not how you run this zone. You have two guys in this exact area with Gabriel Davis wide open. Like, yeah, you can blame the staff, but at the end of the day, players are not fulfilling their responsibility. They're not in the places that they are coached to be in. Yeah. It's just absolutely absurd. And this is the reason why. This defense is so – it's the, a very similar scheme to what they were doing when they made the Super Bowl. You know, it, not a terrible – there haven't been terribly crazy changes to this defense. It's just, I think, on the players to fulfill your responsibility. It's just this soft zone is terrible. And then if you want to ask me, oh, well, if their zone is so bad, why don't they play man coverage? Okay, well, here's an example of why you can't play man coverage if you're Pete Carroll. And it has to mainly do with your pass rush. You're going to be in a man coverage look here. Come on. Bang time. Look at this pocket for Josh Allen. Dude doesn't have to move. He, he literally does not have to move on half of the throws that he made this game. He doesn't have to move. So you could say, oh, yeah, just run man coverage. Josh Allen can just sit here. You got a little rub mesh concept here. He can just sit here. He doesn't have to anticipate at all. He could just see whoever comes open off the rub route. Oh, easy throw. Once again, like, it doesn't matter what the Seahawks try to run. If they have zero pass rush, and it's not even that they're not, not getting sacked. They are not forcing the quarterback to even move. That's how bad it is this game. They had, they had five sacks this game. But this is the problem. This is why they wanted Dunlap. This is why they needed to get Clowney back. Is because it's not about the sacks. Their average, their their average is like decent in the league in sacks. It's these plays. It's the fact that they a quarterback can sit there. He can yawn. He can blow his nose. He can even wipe his butt and still make a throw with no pressure. He doesn't. He can just sit there and look at every single guy. 
you know, he can even pull out his freaking binoculars. It doesn't matter. It's just absolutely absurd. Here, I'll just bring up some more clips and no just negative pass rush. Here, they're, I'm pretty sure they're going to blitz a linebacker. Yep. Look at this pocket. But it doesn't matter how – you. Bill Belichick can't do anything with this pass rush. How are you going to blame Pete Carroll for this? Yeah. That's, that's just my whole argument. Like, yeah, you can blame him for putting the guys on the field that aren't, aren't coming up with, with sacks and with consistent pass rush, but my God. It doesn't yeah, matter like, what scheme you have on the back end. Dude, he has – but there's guys on this defense who are like – you know, Pro Bowl players, all pro players. You know, it's not like they're just like you said before, they got Joe Schmo and the sixth round playing out there. It is just there's something that is not clicking with the team. Like this is just absolutely absurd. Josh Allen can do whatever the hell he wants in this pocket. It doesn't matter. Cover three, man coverage, cover four. Who cares about the coverage on the back end? You gotta be able to get to the quarterback when you rush five. At least eventually. I, I, I wonder how many seconds Josh Allen could have sat back here. What do you think, seven Probably seconds? All yeah, all day. Nathan Peterman could have been back there for 10 seconds. <laughs> Here's another example. Just no pass rush. Look at this pocket. Okay, they finally got a guy into him a little bit. After what, five, four seconds? Like, Jesus Christ. It's just, and the other problem for the Seahawks this game was just Dunbar. Dunbar, I don't think, should have been playing. He was hurt coming into this week. Just a really rough performance from him. Here's one touchdown. I'm not sure they called it a touchdown, but if you look on the replay, it was. Mm -hmm. And then here's an example earlier in the game of Dunbar just getting worked. I actually really like this play design by Dabble and, and, and the Bills, McDermott, all those guys. You're going to fake this little, one of those little jet sweep kind of a things. And they're going to act like Josh Allen is running to the right. Here, let me rewind a smidge. So then they fake this run. Gabriel Davis is going to fake like he's blocking. Bang, a little pop pass. Just abusing Dunbar in every way possible. And, like, it doesn't matter what you do. And I think this problem, if you look at it even further, because I started looking back, like, that 49ers game that they had last week was a much better performance from the Seahawks defense than we saw all season. So I'm like, I look back at that game, like, what's the difference between the two, the two games? And there is one very, very dramatic difference the personnel groupings, and how you play this Seattle defense. The 49ers came out to start that game against Seattle in five wide, and it was working. They hit Ayuk for 11 yards. They had Kittle for an open play that, that there was some sort of misconnection. It was, I think it was a drop, but it could have been a bad throw by Jimmy Garoppolo. And then the 49ers went to what they do. They, they go 22 personnel, 12 personnel. For those who don't know, that's two running backs, two tight ends, one running back, two tight ends. Just those bigger, tighter formations, which I think allowed the Seahawks to blitz their linebackers more, the players that are actually good on this defense, and let Jamal Adams, well, he wasn't playing, but you saw in the beginning of the season, like 
you do not want to let him feast around the box. Just look at the Atlanta game. The Bills, I think, attacked this defense the perfect way, a very similar way that the Cardinals were able to attack this defense. Four wide receiver sets. Spread this defense out. And if you go and look back at all these clips, just look at the personnel groupings. Four receivers. Spread the defense out. Don't let them disguise their blitzes. Don't let them blitz these linebackers. And then force all these these coverage players to be in space with a lack of a pass rush here we go another play four receiver set this is the key to beating the seahawks and i think that the bills looked at that at that 49ers game those first couple of snaps and that cardinals game and easily saw let's just spread this team out they can't cover Mm -hmm. us on outside the numbers and they can't pass rush if we spread them out and i think that's the key to beating this team I'm curious as to what yeah. your guys' thoughts are on, on seeing all this. I mean, clearly, yeah, like, I, I mean, I, yeah, your point exactly right. I mean, they have a huge hole there. If you spread out, it often just spreads out the receivers. They're going to torch them all game. And, like, we've seen this kind of all season, even with the Dolphins game, too. Fitzpatrick had his way with them. They made a couple plays that would – Ultimately, they won the like won the game, but like I, also, I think the defense is a spoiled where like you know they have a player like Russell Wilson, they can just always kind of rely on, and be like, well, we can give up a touchdown here, but we know he's gonna like equal it out, and we just got to make a couple plays, you know, one day, one game, like especially if you're a Super Bowl contender, which the Seahawks are he- like heavy favorites for it, like the defense is going to have to make a dramatic run, it's going to have to switch in the second half and figure out. And hopefully the Dunlap trade now, like, the more he gets put in the system, he helps them out, and hopefully that helps the safeties out. And and as Jamal Adams gets back healthy and Dunbar gets back healthy, it will enhance this defense a little more. But it is alarming to see, like, this defense play this horrible this Super Bowl for a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I really like the point of the Bills being able to, to spread the field out. And, I mean, if you think about the Bills, that's something they, they do a lot. Like, it's not just the Stephon Diggs, John Brown, and, you know, Cole Beasley. They also get, you know, Gabriel Davis and Isaiah McKenzie a lot more involved than, you know, some other team would with their fourth or fifth wide receiver. So I think that makes it um, a really tough matchup for the Seahawks when you're able to spread the ball around like that to a bunch of different receivers. I do think, so there are a couple silver linings with this, because I don't want to crap on the Seahawks too much. First, their two worst defensive performances, this Bills game and the Cardinals game, are the two teams, they played against the two teams, the Bills and the Cardinals, that run the most four-receiver personnel. Got the figures here. Wait, hold on, somewhere around here. Um, same time. Buffalo. This season has run 104 snaps with four receivers. And the Cardinals, 115 snaps with four receiver personnel. Way more, both those teams, than anyone else in the league. So I think, at least, like, so far they've gotten their worst matchups out of the way. Aside from the Cardinals that you're going to have to play again, those are easily, for your defense, the worst matchups. Compared to when you play a team like the Niners, yeah, you gave up 27 points, but 
as long as they're not able to spread the field out as much, you know, and like they have the Rams this week, the Rams run 95% of their plays are three receiver, one tight end, two receiver, two tight end, I believe. Let me just look at that real quick. One, two receivers, one running back, two tight ends. Um, so 12 personnel and and 31 or 11 mm-hmm. personnel, three receivers, one running back, one tight end. So I think that the the Seahawks have gotten a lot of their bad matchups out of the way. And the second thing is while their pass rush was still really bad, Carlos Dunlap showed up. And here's the play that he did. It's a great pass. And they need him to step up big time because it does not look like their other players can. Like they, They're going to need Bobby Wagner, they're going to need Jamal Adams, and they're going to need this man right here to keep doing this. Because if, if he doesn't keep doing this, then they're screwed. Because if we remember, the reason why the Seahawks were, were able to go to back-to-back Super Bowls a couple years ago was because of that defense, the Legion of Boom. You cannot mm-hmm. expect to beat top-tier football teams late stages of the playoffs just with an offense. We've seen that tale time and time again, and it always fails. You need to have some semblance of a defense. And I just think if, if they play a team like the Cardinals in the playoffs, or maybe even a team like the Saints that are able to exploit how bad this team is in space when you spread them out, I'm not like Russell Wilson is going to have to literally just be perfect or they're going to keep losing games like this. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, we were talking before, like they kind of just remind me of that uh, 2018 Chiefs, you know, just heavy relied on like Patrick Mahomes threw for 50 touchdowns and it looks like Russell Wilson's going to eclipse the 50 touchdown mark too. And at a point, like, you know, you need your defense during these playoff runs to eclipse that and make a couple plays and the way don't they got a very short week because they got to go they play rams and then you got to go thursday night and play the cardinals and that's tough especially for a defense that's struggling they come out there and struggle against the rams it is you have to hit the reset button really quick and try to figure out how to beat the cardinals and that can be really troublesome for this defense and for this team as a whole at least the Seahawks linebackers, from when I watched them on tape, the like their past couple games and then earlier in the season, their linebackers are still playing at an elite level. So there is still hope. I don't believe the Seahawks defense is like a Jaguars defense where it's like, okay, no matter what you do, you're kind of fucked. Um, like this defense, they, they have the talent. Maybe not through and through, but they, I think they have enough to where they can piece something together to make a run with. It's just this pass rush needs to improve, and I, this isn't a team. like They cannot rely on blitzing five and six guys you know, every play, or rushing five or six, not blitzing five or six, every play just to create pass rush. They need to be able to have some sort of balance and the ability to create pass rush in – when they're dropping seven into coverage, they just can't rely on blitzing every play in every passing scenario. The offenses these days, especially in the NFC are too good and they don't have the coverage on the back end to just be like, okay, Trey flowers, Dunbar, 
um, Quandre Diggs. Yeah, just go one-on-one against everyone. They don't have that kind of talent. So I do think they can still salvage a defense for the season, even though they've been historically bad, especially if they go up against teams that that like to just play more condensed because this is a good team against the run, and that, I think, enables their linebackers to really make an impact on the game. But if I'm a coach playing the Seahawks, I'm spreading that defense out and I'm attacking the sidelines because I, I just think that they're really weak in that area. Keep on bringing up Legion of Boom. Like, obviously, this defense and nothing's going to be like the Legion of Boom. Like, the that defense was incredible to watch and all that. But, you know, it's this point in the season where they have to find their identity. Are they going to be a shutdown defense here on out? Probably not, unless they really turn the corner. But they have to find their identity on defense where they can make a couple plays and, you know, not give up 40 points a game. I mean, they're averaging 360 yards through the air. I mean, just quarterbacks are having a field day with it. So they, I mean, hopefully they're seeing the same stuff we're seeing, and obviously they will. Uh, but I don't know. But, like, you were right. Silver lining is nice for them because they do have a lot of great, still elite players on this defense to make plays. And they can't get much worse than they have been. And there's still time to really try to, like, figure it out and hopefully carry them to a Super Bowl or something like that, you know. And they did make a lot of just dumb mistakes. I mean, some of those clips that I, that I showed, whether it's a dumb mistake or just a – just an error, you know, schematically. Some guy thinks he's he's in a position that he's not supposed to be. I mean, I have tons more clips of, of just dumb errors. Just, you know, no matter what happened, the play was just doomed from the start because there was miscommunication and players were playing the wrong role. Like, if they're able to get rid of those plays, which I think under Pete Carroll, they definitely have the ability to. Especially, you have to remember this is a COVID year. The practices are probably weird as nuts. Like, they have that. It's just you got to start putting it together now or later. I want to see, and I think the Rams this weekend is a great opportunity for this defense to to remake that statement like they kind of made against the 49ers saying, hey, this is just a bad matchup. It was a bad day on the road in Buffalo, traveling all the way across the United States. Let's, Let's get this thing to get this show back on the road and, and show that, yeah, we may not be a top defense, but we can still play. Lucas, you got anything else to say on the Seahawks? Yeah, I think I, I, I think I kind of agree with you, Frank. I think a lot of their problems, you know, I think can be fixable. You know, I think players just being in, in wrong positions, I think, you know, it's not – the easiest thing in the world to fix, but it's not the hardest. Um, you know, the Rams matchup, I think, coming up is a is a good test. You know, Jared Goff isn't going to run around as much as Josh Allen or Kyler Murray, who have, you know, done the most damage to the Seahawks offense this year. And the Rams, you know, kind of have also adopted more of a ground and pound kind of mentality this year. So I think that's a much better matchup for them. Um, and I also think, you know, even though they do give up the most passing yards per game, I think that number, 
you know, honestly could be a little inflated, you know, since Russell Wilson just torching everyone, you know, the teams are going to have to try to play catch up most of the game and they're going to have to throw the ball out themselves. Um, and, you know, besides, you know, the two games they've lost, you know, opposing offenses haven't done, you know, too much devastating damage other than, you know, the Cardinals and Bills. I mean, I guess the Cowboys um, played pretty well offensively with Dak, but he was also on fire before he went out. Um, but, you know, in between those two losses, they played the 49ers and they gave up 27 points, but, you know, most of those were in garbage time. So, um, obviously, you know, it's not looked good for their, their defense so far, but it's, you know, I think we're still a long way from, uh, being able to write them off completely. Yeah. Like, I think you're right. The stats, I think are overblown a little bit because, you see all over Twitter and Reddit and whatnot, all of my historically bad numbers from a Pete Carroll defensive coach, all this and that. Like, you're right. You know, off the opposing offense is probably getting more snaps and especially a lot of snaps from behind. Um, and the, the issues are fixable. But let's move on here. I want to do a short segment basically crapping on the Lions. Um, if you're a Lions fan, man, it's rough. I do feel for you because just after that last game, it is firmly cemented in my brain that Matt Patricia is not the guy that's going to take you anywhere. And I just want to show you a play really quickly just to like, you know, ingrain that in everyone. This is the Dalvin cook 70 yard run. Um, there's something off about this play though. There's, there's something not right. If you count how many Detroit Lions players there are on the field, let's do it here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um, there's only ten guys on the field. This is a problem. Because look what happens. Like, this is the NFL. I'm pretty sure that this happened. They had 10 guys on the field who plays the previous game as well. Like, I'm sorry. I, and I'm a guy that I thought Matt Patricia at first, you know, he came into a tough job. You had to change the culture of a team. And I'm not sure that Detroit is like the best place to try and do that and whatnot. But at the end of the day, if you cannot get the correct amount of guys on the field, like, how are you supposed to have success? <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree, dude. It seems like Patricia's time's done there, it, unless like a mir- miraculous turnaround for the Lions. But it just it felt like that for like the Lions. I, I'm not even a Lions fan, but like probably forever. I mean, when was the last time they won a playoff game? Like the '90s. Dude, I have no idea. Like, I-, I feel bad for Stafford because I legitimately believe his career is wasted. I think that Calvin Johnson did the right move retiring early from that dog shit organization. I probably yeah. would have done the same thing. Um, I, you know, I-, I think they've had some good moves, it- but it's just 
they're not going to do it. Patricia's not the guy to to run an organization. I think he's a classic example of a guy that's much more suited as a coordinator than a head coach. I'm sorry. If you cannot get the correct amount of guys on the field, how are you supposed to win games? The fact that it ha- it should never happen more than like once or twice a season. It's happened three times in the past two games. Like – yeah, that's just—I I mean, that—that's just terrible. Something's off, and is the players not bought in? Uh, Patricia, like maybe the coaching staff is that whole whole organization is just like a cluster uh, of mess, and it's just, he, man, you can always just say like, well, we'll fire the coach and bring in another guy, to establish a culture, but like, dude, like, I mean, that's what they tried to do with Patricia. He was—he wasn't the right guy. I mean, I totally agree with you. Coordinator was a great coordinator for the Patriots. And, I mean, dude, man, I I really feel bad for Lions fans. I, like, I feel bad just to be a Falcons fan, but I couldn't imagine being a Lions fan just every season you just know you're going to head into this mediocre season going 6-10, and 5-11 with a franchise quarterback where you should be winning much more mm-hmm. games with. and it's just at the end of the day, it comes down to coaching and just never having the right team on the field. And it, I don't it's even know. It's really like, a shame. Yeah, it's just, God, it's, I don't even know what you do, man. Like, I don't, as a fan, I don't even know what you would do. I, I actually, like, as it, Lions fans have to be used to it by now, though. Just, oh, the, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, Lions fans are just like, yeah, we know. And it's not even the fact that they're just bad. It's the fact that it's such a roller coaster of, oh, some some games and some seasons were just right there. And then, you know, it's just blown all away. And and there'll be some there'll be competitive in some games against great teams and then just not show up in other games. And like, it just must be so rough. And, this is the other thing that that's tough to think about. By the way, Lucas Lucas left. He may he may be back a little bit later. Um, how many players, quarterbacks, not players, quarterbacks, are drafted number one overall, and is and it pans out? You know, like there are a lot of times, like Baker Mayfield, you can argue, not worth that first round first overall pick. Okay, Kyler Murray, yes. Cam Newton, he got you to a Super Bowl, but you know, number one overall pick, you're you're taking a guy that you expect to be there for like ten years, to have a great career, to be one of the better players in your franchise, and like that worked with the line. Matt Stafford was that player, and you yeah. weren't able to do anything with him. Not you. Yeah. You didn't have like any playoff success whatsoever. You you barely even competed in your division half the years. Like that's ridiculous. You know. Yeah, it's just horrible because you got the quarterback right, which, like, as a franchise, as a football team, that's the hardest part is getting the quarterback right. And you had the quarterback for years, and he's been there for 12 years now. Just put put the team around him. They've had a couple of good, decent teams where they, like, they were fighting for the division and they made the wild card. I think they made it to the playoffs twice under Stafford, but they didn't go anything farther than that wild card game. And – uh, it's just I blame that organization solely just because if you get the quarterback right, everything else should just fall in line. 
and where all you have to do is just put the right right personnel, right team around them, and then you should be fine. And I understand that like, you're playing in the division against Aaron Rodgers, and that's tough. But you're telling me, like, if you put together a halfway decent team, a good team, a team that knows how many people need to be on the field, you can't compete with the Packers? <laughs> like, it's, Well, it's funny, too, dumb. is that Packers fans complained about Mike McCarthy and, and their old GM, I forget his name, that they were a team with just a quarterback that was carrying them and the rest of their roster sucked when the Lions were really living that. Like, they were the definition of a team that, without Stafford, they're probably a bottom 10 pick just every year. You know, maybe not with Calvin Johnson in his prime just because you could throw it up to him and there could be four people covering him and he'll still catch it. But, like, post-Calvin Johnson, man, it, it's just been really rough for Lions fans. Like, it's just – They've just never been able to put the full product together. And and it's not like – with the Lions, I feel like both their offense and their defense has had talent but has never been a complete unit. You, They've never had that elite defense, and they've also never really had that elite offense that they could rely on. And it's just you're never going to be a good football team if you can never truly believe and rely on one side of your football like on one side of the football, like there are teams that you have to compete against that have both sides figured out. You at least to be a really good team have to have one side of the football that you're like, okay, we have a competitive advantage on this side of the football doing X. The Lions have never had that. They've never had that. Mm -hmm. We do this better than everyone else. It's just always been Stafford bailing them out. Okay. They've, they've had Stafford bail them out better than everyone else maybe, but it's just been so rough. I think Patricia, if he's on after this season, I don't. I don't even There's know what no to think. I'd stop rooting for the Lions probably if I if I were a Lions fan. There's no way he's still on after this season. If they don't turn it around quick here. There's just no way. I, he was on the hot seat last year, and I think like they gave him one more shot, you know, because. He's had success in the league before, and they're like, all right, well, we do have the quarterback. We have a coach we do kind of believe in. It's just still it's, it's not working. And you got to find that guy out there that's going to put together that complete team until they do. Uh, I don't – Detroit might be one of those franchises that never put it together, or, or not for years to come, you know. I mean, look how long the Browns have struggled and – now this is like their decent year where like they're competing and and have playoff aspirations, but I mean there's a good chance they don't want to make play. So I don't Yeah, know. but that it, goes it, back to what you were saying before though, about the whole quarterback scenario. Yeah, the Browns sucked, but they yeah, always but like they, had the suckiest quarterback. Yeah, I mean like how many quarterback changes did they do before Baker? What was it, like twenty four, twenty five? I mean Yeah, and like had that crazy amount of draft capital invested into that position as well over that giant period of time like like you're so right like teams like the jets the browns um i mean there's so many more you can make an argument for like the buccaneers for a good period of time before they got brady like there's so many organizations that have struggled to find that quarterback and they were just that quarterback away from being a playoff team or having that playoff success, like 
you're a team that you've not only did you find the quarterback, he was consistent. He was on the field. He's a tough guy. Like, yeah, he might not be the best quarterback of all time or the best quarterback in the league, but damn, he was always in that that franchise quarterback label and on that elite cusp for a long period of time. And, and you weren't I able mean, to win was, a single playoff game? I mean, you talk about with Stafford. I mean, 2008, before the year we go in there, the Lions were 0-16. Franchise was horrible. Worst team, laughing stock in the NFL. One of the worst teams of all time. And you got Stafford, and you're still, like, in this little conundrum where, like, you'll compete in games and you'll win some games, but without Stafford, you're nowhere near that. You're still that bottom feeder team. And if I'm just a fan of this team, and, like, if I'm looking at, like, the Browns or whatever or a Jets fan, I'd be like, damn, like, I think I'd rather be that kind of fan, the team that never got the quarterback right, because you can always blame that. but when you get the quarterback right, though, and, like, you're still not winning games, and that's solely based on coaching, personnel, team, like, the players you put around them. I think that's worse, you know, because, like, you just – you see, like, your guy, Matthew Stafford, your guy, the one you invested all this money in and go in day in, day out, and produce these big numbers and keep you in a lot of games, you wasted his career away. Like, that's just sad. Like, at least the Browns, like, whose careers they waste away? Jimmy Clausen, like – uh, Colt McCoy, like the list goes on and on. So Brady uh, Quinn, Brady Quinn could have been good. I'm telling you. Okay, maybe not. But the yeah, other thing like too, though, is that if you're comparing like the Lions, the Browns, and the Bengals, like at least the the Browns and the Bengals, like right now, have something to hang their hat. Like the Browns are right now, according to that one chart, they had over a fifty percent chance to make the playoffs. Like. They at least have a good team. Like the Bengals, they just picked up Burrow. They have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the football. Like things are looking up. The Lions, every single year, have been one of those teams where it's like, oh, this could be the year. This could be the year. We're looking up. We're looking up. And they've always been let down. Every single year. At least with the Bengals, you knew this season they weren't going to win games. You knew this, this was a punt of a season, and you're just – know you're letting young guys develop you're seeing what you got out of some of these dudes and at least with the browns like yeah the browns could be in that in that lions kind of scenario but i think browns fans will even tell you that they have glaring holes in their roster that can be filled and like it's stefanski's first year he's really doing stuff like i think that for the browns right now you can make a clear argument that things might be brighter overall than the Lions have ever really had in terms of brightness. Like, maybe when they were in the playoffs. But I think Lions fans will be the first ones to tell you that they never went into the playoffs acting like they were really going to go far. You know, they knew yeah, that they were... like, Yeah, going in there as a 60, like, there's not too much confidence in Yeah, there, you know you need you some barely luck. got in. You know... Yeah, you're gonna have to have some things go your way to get to get through some games. Unless like you're a six seed, like a Titans team that like was going on a crazy run, you're playing hot, but like you're kind of just playing like 500 ball throughout the season, sneak your way in there. I would not be confident in my team at all. Yeah, but the Titans is a little different because you also have like the quarterback change, and it was like a yeah, I mean team dynamic change. You I know, mean, just like yeah, like. Clean. Don't get me wrong. Like we look at six seeds, like Titans had success. Like the Falcons won that one playoff game. Probably the should Giants. have gone farther. 
Gi- and the Giants you, you better like, run course, away from a six seed Giants but, like, team. The Giants' success to win a Super Bowl is just like give us that six seed spot. Just let us go nine and seven. Like they're that one team, like the Lions, like where you, that team is just like fluctuating, like always like in the hunt or like on that six seed, like throughout the season. Like the Giants were like that organization is like, dude, just get us in. We'll make something happen. But the Lions have never been like that organization. Like once once we get in, we, we're one and done, and we're packing up our bags. Well, yeah, I think the biggest difference there, too, is the fact that the Giants have one of the better organizations in football. You know, the own, like you could just tell with the Giants, it's a much more clean-ran organization. There's much more organizational continuity compared to the Lions. The Lions, every year, it's like, I don't know what their plan is half the time. Like, it feels like they don't have a plan. It feels like they're just trying to put something together that's semi-competitive so they can just sell seats. Like the Giants, I get that feeling that while they're they're in a little bit of a rough patch right now, like they've put together just, you know, in the 90s and then, you know, in like the 2010s and whatnot, just like overall they've had a very competitive organization with the Lions. It's like they're the team that wastes people's careers. That's the Lions, you know. You get your – how many great players have, have they just kind of wasted? It's it's getting really high right now, which is just ridiculous. But um, let's move also, on like, from – I feel like the Lions, though, like one more thing is that they, they have to draft well. Like you have to hit on your draft picks because, like, I don't see the Lions ever get, like, a big free agent, like, pickup or something like that. You know, because, like, at the end of the day, who wants to live in Detroit? You know? Yeah, you, you – like – I guess that's the one reason why you can argue for Patricia is just because he can get the pull on those expatriates. But um, it's just, I think he's got to go. I think the the jig is up. It's just, if, if I was the Lions owner, I just, after seeing this season, and especially like the way this season has gone, not that I think that Patricia doesn't know his stuff and what I just, it doesn't seem like he's fit from the outside to run this football team and to really turn things mm-hmm. around. I don't think he's the guy for it, you know? Yeah. And if he's not the guy, why is he sticking around? Um, let's move on here. So me and Steed's Dogs of the Week both hit last week. Oh. My Dog of the Week was the Saints up against the – um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Steed, shout out to you because I I picked against your dog of the week. You took the 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 fins, so we're gonna get you, into the things you picked now. Against, I've taken the fins the last two weeks, and you picked against you picked the Rams and the Cardinals. Just keep yeah, picking against the okay, okay. If you keep on, Dolphin fans want to hear that. If I keep on picking the Dolphins and you take the other team, the Dolphins are gonna win the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Should we, should we just keep it going? Should I just keep picking against the yeah, Dolphins? Like, I'm so down. I mean, I, I technically I am picking against the Dolphins this week, just not in the way that you'd think, I guess. But um, I'm going to hype up the Dolphins. Don't worry. Dolphins fans, I'm sorry for doubting you. Brian Flores, listen, I'll be the first one to admit, I didn't watch enough tape on the Dolphins, you know? I doubted your offense. I doubted that team, but I'll I'll be hyping you up a little bit in the episode. Just wait. For now I'm gonna I'm gonna pat myself on the back a little bit for actually getting a dog of the week right. I had a rough week rough week last week, but the Saints were my saving grace. All right, so 
Let me bask in yeah. what little glory I have left. Um. So yeah, Saints. Let's just rewind a little bit to last week because last week I picked the Saints in my dog of the week, but I wasn't projecting a blowout. I don't think anyone was projecting a blowout. I mean, you look at the expert panel that they had; every single person oh, yeah. picked the Bucks. Um, and. I just want to go back to what I highlighted in that week one, because I was saying, listen, what are the Saints going to do defensively? Are they going to go out like they did in that last matchup and ask a lot of their cover coverage players to go one-on-one with guys like Chris Godwin? And now that they picked mm-hmm. up AB, are you going to go and ask your guys, hey, I'm fine with, with giving up this, this matchup one-on-one on AB, or are they going to try and confuse Brady with zone looks? And I thought it was going to be more of the latter. I thought that there was going to be a lot more zone coverage this game, but I will give Dennis Allen and this Saints defense credit. They lined up and said, hey, we're more physical than this team is. We're just going to go out there and bully them. And this is easily the Saints' best defensive performance. So first note was that the Saints played one-on-one a lot of the game with their coverage players, and they won. Second thing, this has been the key to beating Brady all every year. We saw it from the Giants in the Super Bowl way back when. We saw it from the Broncos in the AFC Championship. You can the the key to success with beating Brady is to get pressure on him by rushing four guys. If you can get pressure on Brady when rushing four, you have a recipe for success. Because it gets him, he's not able to get through all of his reads. He starts getting, you know, you're making him move around in the pocket. And if you let Brady sit back there and pick your defense apart, you're going to lose. And the Saints did an unbelievable job. Cameron Jordan and that Hendrickson guy, you know, Hendrickson, no glove maniac out there. Um, yeah, he, he had a phenomenal game, especially in the second half. You know, Tom Brady, the comeback kid, was not the only coming back he was doing was getting his butt off the ground. Um, so that was the second yes. thing. And then the third thing, yeah, you like that one? You like that? Yeah. <laughs> and the third thing that I saw, Bucks just got out coached, man. There is no mm-hmm. excuse for having five rushing attempts in any NFL football game. And by the way, of those five rushing attempts, one was a kneel down, and one was on your own two-yard line against a nine-man box. So you had, like, three legitimate rush attempts the entire game. I don't care what is going on. I don't care how good the other team's run defense is. Unless you are shredding the other team's defense, like the Bills were against the Seahawks, you have to run the football. You have to. There's no excuse not to. The entire game, the Buccaneers were playing into the Saints' hands. The Saints were able to dictate the tempo of that football game. They, the, the few times the Buccaneers rushed the ball, it was against a stacked box. And at, the entire time they're throwing the ball, it's against two high pass coverage looks. You're not going to win against a well-coached Sean Payton football team like this. You, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Let's get into the clips, shall we? So this first clip, um, is this the right clip? I think it is. Is it? 
Oh, here we go. No, it, it's not the right. Oh, Lucas, welcome back. Sorry. Hey, what's up? So here's the clip I want to show. This is the exact scenario that I was scared of in that little pregame thing. How are you going to cover these guys one-on-one? There's going to be someone one-on-one no matter what coverage you play. What's the matchup going to be, and what are you willing to give up? And coming into this game, if you asked every single football fan, you were able to get Janoris Jenkins on Antonio Brown one-on-one coverage deep, no safety help. Every single person saying, oh, Antonio Brown's smoking him. Easy. That's a great matchup. And that's what they got on this look. So this is going to be a second and eight after that little two-yard run against a nine-man box, by the way. Um, you're going to get – you're going to get. I, I'm pretty sure this is some sort of quads look. The Saints defense is a little more complex. So you're going to have Marshawn Lattimore locked up one-on-one against Mike Evans with some safety help to the inside. And over here, Janoris Jenkins is going to have Antonio Brown deep. No safety help. He's got him deep. Antonio Brown's right there. And Brady sees it. He launches this thing. Not only does Janoris Jenkins come up with a pass breakup, he almost got a pick. Who saw that coming? You have Antonio Brown one-on-one deep. No one, I can assure you, everyone except for the people in the Saints locker room thought that this was going to happen on Sunday night. That is ridiculous. And, like, kudos to the Saints for trusting their guys in coverage because they had a phenomenal game plan. Here, again, one-on-one coverage. This is just man coverage. They're going to try and get Gronk in the slot over here on, on an out route, on just a quick little stick against Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins, a guy that has struggled in man coverage this season. Just beasts Gronk. There's nothing there. Nothing there. Key to winning this game, win one-on-one matchups. There's going to be one, and they decided this game, hey, we're going to bracket Mike Evans when we can. Gronk, A.B., Chris Godwin were willing to go one-on-one, and the Saints won all night. Here's another one. Third and eight. Big third down. Down 7 nothing on your own four-yard line. I also, I love this coverage here by the Saints. They're going two-man, but they have both of these safeties shifted over to the big three over here with uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, A.B., Guess what? That's leaving Gronk one-on-one with an entire half of the field to work with. Malcolm Jenkins. I mean, it wasn't clean. This is a catchable ball. Gronk definitely lets Brady down. Brady chooses the right place to throw. They won this matchup. This is a win for the Saints. It doesn't matter how close it is. This is a win. And they were doing it all night. There's the Saints. Ex- expert trash talkers in the NFL, number one in the league. Yeah, what they do, do best. Like this was the story of this football game. And then let's show, let's just show you too, just the consistent pass rush that was on Brady as well. This is the first snap of the game. Here's your first round pick, Tristan Wirfs up against Cam Jordan. This is what I was scared of in the first matchup. Nothing you can do there for Brady. 
Godwin's got a catchable ball here. It's tight coverage, but this is what you're scared of as a Bucks fan. Just that matchup right there. And it was one-on-one, and, and Tristan Wirfs had, a, had of a bit of a rough night. And then everything, this is, on this play, this is everything coming together for Dennis Allen and the Saints. This is, you know, you're down 14 nothing. You're the Bucks. This is a big drive to get you back in this football game. Tom Brady's feeling the pass rush. The, the, the Saints have been winning their one-on-one matchups. So now you line up seven guys at the line of scrimmage. Who's coming? You don't have enough guys to block them. you got to decide. Who's coming? Who's coming? Where are we going to go with this football? Who's coming? What do you think's happening here? They dropping out or are they coming? <sighs> Guess what? Pressure gets to Brady. You just confuse him that little bit with this look. And that was Dennis mm-hmm. Allen's game plan coming in on these third downs. Just get Brady to hold the ball for half a second, a third of a second more, so that he makes one of these kinds of decisions, so that he doesn't see A.B. at the top of the screen against this kind of pseudo Tampa 2 look open or Mike Evans down the cock open possible throw make him throw this ball deep to Scotty Miller with a miscommunication it's just perfectly executed game plan from the Saints and here here's the best example of their whole game plan coming together in my opinion Bucks are down big I'm pretty sure at this point this is just the game plan everything coming to, to fruition for the Saints There isn't a huge pass rush here, but Tom Brady's feeling it. He's getting the ball out of his hands quick. It's a three-deep zone, and he's going to Scotty Miller at the top of the screen. It's a great play by Janoris Jenkins. Incomplete. Push him out of bounds. But guess what? Look at at this right down the seam. Mike Evans is wide open for a touchdown. Wide open. But this is what Dennis Allen wanted to do. Listen, the, the Bucks are going to win some of these matchups. They're too talented not to. But, you know, create that, that little bit of a doubt in Brady's mind in his offensive line. Create that, you know, win those one-on-one matchups. Make him throw it to a matchup that's favorable for you. And that's what they did all night. And shout out to Dennis Allen and that Saints staff because it was a beautiful game plan on display last weekend. And... It's what led to a win. Yeah, their offense was scoring and putting up points, but it was their defense that stole the show that week. I mean, you're right, dude. Like, it, at the end of the day, the Bucks got outcoached last week, and it showed. And Brady was shell-shocked all night, uncomfortable, and wasn't able to get in that groove we've seen him been able to get in the um, past couple weeks. And I think this is just basically – Saying like the Saints are still the team of the South, you know the Bucks. Like you can make all these fancy moves and did, and Bucks will make the playoffs. But I I don't know. They're still they kind of they remind me of that Packers team last year, where like they're good and they'll win a lot of games and they'll compete in the playoffs. But like when they have to face up a team against like the Saints, I just don't like the matchup there, and I just. I they can play the Saints ten times in a row, and I think the Saints beat them ten times in a row. I mean, we saw in Week One the Saints didn't even play that great of a game and still be, controlled that game and beat them. You know, like it's just uh, not a good matchup for the Bucks. And 
we're the you same bogs. If you only two. run the ball five times a game, you're not going to be in any game. <laughs> yeah, do you remember yeah. if the if the Saints were dogs week one? I think they were, right? No, yeah, they were. Because I remember like, that's absurd, man. Like the fact that they were dogs. Like you were right. Not only does the NFC South run through the Saints, the NFC runs through the Saints. You have to beat the Saints if you want to make it to the Super Bowl. Generally, and I, I think you're right. Like this is a team. Like if, if you can't beat the Saints, then how are you? Getting, you have to ha- get really lucky, and you, you got to pray that you don't face them. Or, you know, one of those hot NFC teams like the Niners that always pop up to be able to get to the Super Bowl. Because, my God, like, you cannot get out coached. Now, obviously, it's not the end of the season for the Bucs. This team is tremendous talent. And it was just one of those nights where everything was going wrong for them. But at the end of the day, you cannot be a team in the playoffs where everything goes wrong for you and you get torched. When is the last time you've seen a Sean Payton team get demolished like that on both sides of the ball? It doesn't happen. And that's, that's the standard you have to set for your team if you want to make it out of there because the NFC is just too competitive for you to have these kinds of off days. I'm not counting the Bucks out. Um, as a matter of fact, I think I'm taking them this week for, for our picks, but you just you can't. You can't expect you can't get out coached like this in the playoffs and expect to win ball games. Welcome back, Lucas. What, what was your opinion on the uh, on that Saints Bucks game? Yeah, that was pretty. I mean, honestly, pretty ridiculous. The one, I mean, you guys touched on a lot of it already, but I mean, the one thing that kind of surprised me was you know, Tom Brady. I felt like he had to check the ball down a lot and. And when he was doing that, it was mostly to one of his running backs. If that was, you know, either Fournette or Ronald Jones. Like, it seemed like, you know, to me, if I was trying to check the ball down, it'd be to, like, an Antonio Brown or a Chris Godwin. Um, you know, I like, Gronk wasn't even that involved, involved in the game in terms of the passing game. I think he only had one catch. So um, that was one thing that, to me, was really puzzling and stood out. Yeah, I'm actually really glad that you brought up Gronk just because it felt like that game, you know, the Saints kind of knew what Gronk is and the Buccaneers didn't because the entire game, they were almost daring them to throw the ball to Gronk. They were willing. I mean, you saw on that one play where they gave Gronk an entire half of the field in one-on-one coverage, no safety anywhere near. And they just said, here, throw it to him, third and eight. Go ahead, throw it to Gronk because we know he's washed. And yeah, like I just think that the Buccaneers needed to to make an adjustment on that. Like there was like three or four third downs that he was targeting, and he wasn't able to come up with a catch. Um, if I were the Buccaneers, I think that I would have liked to, if I were a Buccaneers fan, I would have liked to see a little more like seven man protections on a lot of these deep concepts, just because. You were asking your tackles both to go one-on-one the entire game against Henriksen and against Cameron Jordan, and they were winning. Brady was feeling the pressure. Um, and then uh, the obvious, actually run the ball, like try at least to run the ball, you know, once maybe, maybe twice. Five rushing attempts? It's ridiculous. Like, 
you know, how many too high safety looks do you have to see where you just don't run the ball before you realize, hey, maybe this whole passing every down thing isn't a, a viable viable way to win football games i don't care if you're down 21 14 nothing it doesn't matter there's too much football game left to just abandon the run game like that in the nfl we've seen every single year when you look at the top passing football teams it's it's like the falcons the cowboys and all these non-playoff teams the lions and then when you look at the teams that run the ball the best it's all the playoff teams oh the ravens and whatnot like how many time, like how many hints do there does there need to be? Running the football well wins football games. Passing the football well, you can come back, but it is not the surefire way to win football games by passing every down. Ah, infuriating. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think like the Bucks, like especially like the lack of running, it might have been a result of just how shell shocked they were. You know, like it seemed like from the first series they got like it was. Just it felt like the game was over already. You know, they didn't make the right adjustments, and it like I think it just got in their head. You know, and I, that's what has really bothered me about the Buccaneers all year. Because like I get like they have all this talent and and Brady and all this, but I just don't see what everyone else sees as them like as a Super Bowl favorite. You know. I see them maybe winning one playoff game, but at the end of the day, dude, I do not see this team going much farther. And especially if they got to play the Saints in the playoffs, because this is going to happen again. And unless they get someone to do their dirty work for them, like the Vikings did last year for the by beating the Saints. But dude, I don't know. Like I just still think this team's very fraud. You know, people are probably still really high off of that Packers game, and even so, like, yes, they looked good against the Packers, but. There's not very many games where you get an Aaron Rodgers that throws practically two pick sixes. It was one, but one of the uh, the other interception was returned to the one yard line. Like if that doesn't happen, I'm really curious to see how that game unfolds. Obviously, the Bucks and Brady are going to come back from this. We're probably not going to see the Bucks have this bad of a football game for the rest of the season. And I don't want this Bucks slander to be like. Oh well, the Bucks—they're out of it. You know, they're—they're they're screwed. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. They're not even like. They obviously, still have a chance to win the Super Bowl, and they're probably still going to make the playoffs. But just the the fact that you know the game can get so away from them with just the smallest amount of adversity, like just going down fourteen nothing was such a large obstacle for them to overcome, and they just completely. You know, the legs were just out under them from that. Like, st- you're going to have to be able to come back from, from stuff like that. Just look at the Chiefs in the playoffs last year. How many leads did or, or deficits did they have to come back from in every playoff game to go out there and win the Super Bowl? Like, this Buccaneers team may have to do a similar thing. And they have the comeback kid, Tom Brady, at the helm. But, like, is Bruce Arians equipped to do that? I'm actually curious, who do you guys have most of the blame on for that Buccaneers performance? I can blame Brady, but I, I think I put more of the blame on it. Bruce, man, like oh, dude, I don't know. I, I think you gotta blame the whole team as a whole though, also. Like that was just a terrible performance especially like you getting hyped up and everything coming in the game then you show it like that 
It just to me, I blame I blame the head coaching more on a bad loss like that because you did not make the adjustments you needed to make. At the end of the day, you know, if you're down twenty-one nothing, fourteen nothing, the game's still not lost. Stick to your roots. Run the ball before net. Run the ball with Ronald Jones. Try to get something moving. Take some clock off. Let your defense rest, and then try to make it a game. And at the end of the day, they didn't do that. Lucas, who do you blame the most for this loss or, like, the way they performed? Yeah, I think, I mean, the blame falls on pretty much everyone. To name someone that you guys haven't said yet, I think, you know, Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, um, you know, I just think they didn't really do a good job play calling. I mean, we, we touched on this right before, but, um, you know, just running the ball five times. It's hard when you're down 21 nothing, like, before you even blink. But, you know, you can't completely rely on the pass game, especially when Tom Brady just doesn't have it that night. And, I mean, I'll say again, like, I get there's a lot of mouths to feed in Tampa Bay's offense. And they have a lot of star talent, but it still feels like they don't utilize, you know, all their elite players they have effectively. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of – it wasn't this game, but in the Giants game, like, who is Tampa – who is that wide receiver that Tampa Bay was throwing the ball to? Like, oh, yeah, Jaden Mickens. Like, they were just <laughs> feeding Jaden Mickens all <laughs> night against the Giants, and it made no sense. But, yeah, I think um, – I feel like the Buccaneers just kind of have to find better ways to – get the most out of their star players because they definitely have you know, the tools to be a, an insane offense. Yeah, I, I like that, that what you were saying about how they're using their players because the one guy that I think not is free of blame, but I think one guy that you really can't put too much on is Mike Evans. Um, just because, you know, you, we saw, we show that clip where he's wide open down the seam and Brady misses him. And just looking at all, all the Saints defensive plays from that game, he is the guy that if the Saints are double covering or bracket covering a player, it's Mike Evans. I think that some of the players that and people that do deserve blame, like Lucas said, Iron left Twitch and Bruce Arians, I think the game plan was terrible. They didn't really have a great way to protect Brady. Um, they were having way too many five-man, four-man route concepts. I think the first thing at halftime they needed to do was come up with an adjustment to protect him, to get Brady comfortable in the pocket. The second guy that I'm going to blame, Chris Godwin, man. Chris Godwin had a horrendous football game. He was dropping passes. Um, I, I know he, he had a third, a third down and six that he just blatantly dropped. Um, all the Saints playmakers were not making a single Saints tackle miss. Um, and then, you know, the Bucks did also get a little bit unlucky during the game. Um, I don't really think you could put it all on Brady just because there was the one screen pass that was deflected right into, into one of the Saints D linemen's laps for an interception. And it was just overall a bad night. But I think it really starts with the staff and the game plan because the Saints were able to dictate the tempo of that game and how that game was played the entire time. And... and I just think the Bucks really had no chance from the get-go. And the fact that they weren't able to overcome the slightest bit of adversity in the beginning was just a really hard 
like a really hard pill to swallow if you're a guy that that believes in this Bucks team. But I think they're a team that'll be able to turn it around. I think that it was a learning experience for for their team. But at the end of the day, two brutal performances against a, a Saints team. This is a team you're going to have to figure out how to beat come playoff time. And when when they play again, I've taken the Saints both times. I'm going to take the Saints again. This is a Bucks team. I'm not sure they have what it takes to beat this Saints team. Yeah, I agree. Especially because it's not going to be at home, it looks like. It's going to be on the road if you're playing them. Yeah, unless one of those teams, uh, NFC South teams, play spoiler, you know, and, like, beats up on the Saints, like, I don't know, like the Falcons. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if there's a team to do it, it's going to be y'all. Hey, man, we're Um, hot. Speaking of the Falcons... How about Tack McKinley being cut? Um, supposedly he – I'll pull up the tweet right now, actually. Um, uh, there were multiple tweets. Are there multiple tweets? tweets. I, really, I only have this one. Um, here it is. Uh, what's going on? A few tweets that were pretty funny. Okay, I don't know what's going on here. Hopefully yeah, you can see it in the that's screen. that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I guess He's at Atlanta Falcons. Turned down a second-round draft pick when I requested to get traded last year. The same at Atlanta Falcons. Turned down a fifth and sixth-round pick from multiple teams when I requested to get traded this year. I only have 17.5 career sacks. Clown emoji, clown emoji, clown emoji. Are there more? I'll, I'll check his Twitter right now. Are there more tweets? I thought, he, like, because after he tweeted that out, like, Raheem Morris came out. Well, first of all, the Falcons came out and said, like, yeah, that's not true. Like, no, there's we never put him on the trade block. And then I think he, like, tweeted back at us and said, like, okay, now y'all are lying or something. And then Raheem Morris said, like, we will take action with this. Like, we're going to, like, they find him or whatever. And then after they find him and he got into a little bit of trouble, I thought he said something else. Let's see. So he's, he's on the Bengals now, the Bungles. Um, oh, okay. I see this have one. Him, have him. Um, contrary to this yeah. claim, the Falcons were never engaged in 2019 trade involving Tag McKinley in a second-round selection. And then some, this guy, Jason Butt, whoever Jason Butt is, let's see. Um, he looks like a Falcons beat oh, reporter. Yeah, uh, put an article. Tag McKinley responds. False news. Should have could have easily gone with a fake news there, but false news. Yeah, should have went fake news. <laughs> Call Thomas <laughs> Dimitrioff for the facts, sir. <laughs> I just okay. love. Okay. Well, the first thing I see here is grammar's a little off. <laughs> Let's see if this if this yeah there we go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Dude, but that's the thing about Tag. Like, he's always been vocal on Twitter, and he's always been, like, a head case, too. It's like, see the talent in him? And I've always, like, really rated for him. But, dude, like, fans would tweet at him, and he would be the guy that would tweet back at him, you know? Dude, look at this. LOL. He, he tweeted January 2016. LOL. When was the Bengals' laugh playoff, last playoff win? Laughing emoji, laughing emoji. Then um, he tweet he replied to someone else. Once Yo Bengals win a playoff game, which is never. Yeah, now he's on the Bengals. 
<laughs> I see that's my oh. favorite thing of Twitter is when people tweet stuff like that. Kind of like Le'Veon Bell when he tweeted, I need like a hundred million to run with the Jets, and then he like ran with the Jets for less than that. Like <laughs> Yeah, oh, it's man. weird how these players like will trash talk a team then eventually end up on the team because at the end of the day they're the only team that'll give them a chance, you know? Funny. Money talks. Yeah, but, I I, what, I'm I'm curious as a Falcons fan, Steve. How do you think Tack McKinley handled this whole situation? I'm assuming pretty poorly. Oh, horrible! Worst way you can ever handle it. First of all, I understand like it's a player's right to uh, like you can say whatever you want on social media. You can do that, and he's a he's a type of player that will say that. He will say whatever he wants for some reason. Listen. I, if he listens to this, like, sorry if I'm calling him out, but I think he has a mental health issue. Like, there is something wrong in his brain. Like, he is just not right. He is not right. Like, I'm telling you, he's, just, he's like, so everywhere that it's crazy. And, first of all, screw Thomas Dimitrov more for trading up on to get this guy when you could easily just pick up T.J. Watt. <laughs> like, it, but, no, you're not yeah, having T.J. Huh? T.J.'s ours. You're not having him. Yeah, but I mean, we could have. Steal of the draft. The fact you had a bona fide stud. He's a Watt. That's a DN. Like, you knew this guy was going to be sick. Like, <laughs> I'm just surprised yeah, that he fell the Steelers pick in that draft. But yeah, you, you yeah. can go on. So, I mean, like I said before, it, it was coming, dude. Like, he hasn't been on the field all year with that groin injury. I just don't think he wants to play. TBA. I, I don't think he ever really liked Atlanta, to be honest with you. I think this whole stunt of him, if this is fake news by either side, like I think it was just solely him just saying, please cut me, get me out of here. I want like a fresh start somewhere else. And that's the way it washed down. At the end of the day, like it wasn't a good relationship. Tack hasn't been on the field since his rookie year. He hasn't really provided anything to the team other than just um, his ugly dreads and being a piece of crap. So, like, there you go. <laughs> like, I don't know what else more to say than it's just, like, time to cut ties with him, you know. At the end of the day, he wasn't producing, not on the field. He's going to trash talk the organization that, gave, like, entrusted him with the first-round pick and said, like, listen, man, you're going to be our DM. Like, you're our guy. Like, Gave you the keys to the Ferrari, man. You didn't take advantage of it, and you trashed us. Like, get out of here. You know, like, and I know the Falcons are not like a like a Patriots like Steelers organization, but still, like Arthur Blank, good guy. This is a well-ran franchise for the most part. Like, we are giving to the players. Like, just ask Julio Jones, ask Matt Ryan, even ask Devonte Freeman. But like, it, I don't think the Falcons were the franchise to come out here and trash them. Like, it's not like you were playing for, like, the Lions, you know? Yeah, I mean, he is trashing the organization, but, like, I think the funny thing is that he's calling himself a bum pretty much in that one tweet, which is, I just think, hilarious. Cause yeah. you, like, I mean, when's the last time you've ever have seen that? I don't know if he's, like... Hey, like, the one with the 17.5 sacks? yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, he was like cool. trying to hype himself up, though. I think he was like, "I only, I only got a bunch of sacks." Like, okay, and like I, I four know, years like, of he, playing. Yeah, he's like trolling himself, but like also, I've seen like many a times when he gets a fight on Twitter from like random fans and be like, "Dude, you only have four sacks," and then he'll just chirp back at him and say like, 
yeah, more sex than you though. And it's just like, okay, like <laughs> like kind of like low key trolling the fans there too. Like I don't really know what tax end game was. Like I guess it was just to get cut, but I don't know. Pretty funny, funny guy. Like for his time on the Falcons, thanks. But like at the end of the day, you like talk crap about my organization. Like screw you, man. I'll ask this question more to Lucas because. I don't think Steed's gonna have anything anything nice to say. Do you think he can turn around in Cincinnati? Mm. How many years has he been in the league? Is it like his fourth year now or his fifth yeah, year? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's his fourth year. Yeah, this was his fourth year. No, I'll give you a true honest opinion about Tag. All right, all right. Well you think he can turn around in Cincinnati? Yeah, or do you think he will? Do I think he will? I mean, that that's just if he stays injured for, like, his whole career. Like, when Tack's on the field, like, he brings pressure to the quarterback. He's going to make plays. His sack numbers might not be there, but I don't give a crap about that. Like, he is still pretty, like, high up there in regards to pass rushers and quarterback pressure, quarterback hurries. So, like, I definitely think if he can have a full healthy season and, like, play for this team where – not really expected like to be that first round pick, like huge guy on the defense. Yeah, he can make an impact. And maybe like it's best for him to get out of there and just change the scenery, you know. Even though I don't know how nice Bengal fans are gonna be to him after that one tweet about the playoffs. So Yeah, I don't know. Um uh, it's not that I've ever been against Tack. I was just never really a huge Tack fan. Um and to be completely honest, that's probably one of the moves that was like the nail in Dmitriov's coffin because, you know, his whole his whole thing he had going for him was like the previous trade ups. Everyone brings to mind is the Julio Jones trade up. But if you trade up for a player and it doesn't pan out, then you know it really bites you in the ass as a football team. And it's probably one of the many moves that got him fired, got him out of the organization as the Falcons have needed a pass rusher since it seems like the dawn John of time. Abraham yeah, since Jonathan Abraham. I mean, you had Vic Beasley be really good for one year, but, you know, that's about it. Um, I, I, I'm going to be a little bit skeptical on the Turner. I think you're right. He's, he's obviously got the talent. He's a first-round pick, but it just seems like he – He's not in the right mental place to be an NFL stud pass rusher. Maybe he can be a rotational guy. Um, he's got to probably figure out this whole thing quick. It just seems like those kinds of players that aren't – the game is so competitive, right? Like, you already have to be insanely hardworking and committed just to be average because everyone in the NFL is insanely hardworking and committed. Like. You have to be – to be a hard worker by NFL standards, you have to be like a T.J. Watt where, like, you literally just live football. Like, and I'm just not sure Tack is there. You know, I don't yeah, – I think point. that he's on the, on the opposite side of that he lives football spectrum. Yeah, maybe he, he lives – every NFL guy lives football, but to really – you know, try to understand the nuances of the game and really try to make yourself um, just an all-around great football player. I'm not sure that Tack is really there. I think that he's more of just on the average side, uh, 
or or on the less than average side of, of that spectrum of really trying to to make yourself and your team better overall, not just oh yeah, I'm getting fit, you know, I'm working out a lot, I, I'm doing cardio and whatnot. It, it takes thousands and thousands more than that, you know, like studying film, studying the playbook. I'm not sure that Tack is really all that committed. I think that he's more about the check and about you know, the football aspect of it. I can't really see Tech studying film. Um, but, like, yeah, that's a good point. I think Tech is the kind of guy, like, who worked very hard to get to, like, to be drafted in the first round. And once, once, like, I think that was just his goal to get that, that money for him because he did come from, like, a low-income, like, kind of thing. And then he just, once he had that money, he's like, all right, man, like, I don't really care about the rest of this. Like, you know, like, screw this. Which sucks, you know, because it really hurts the organization. But I, I think that has to come up in the scouting. I mean, dude, the, you also have to remember they cut him. Like they could have easily oh, yeah. just sat on him and waited for a team to sign him in the offseason and try to get a comp pick. They decided, no, 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 no. This guy is such a hazard to this locker room and to this team. Screw the comp pick. Screw that extra fifth or sixth or seventh round pick. We're just going to cut his ass now. Like. That, that generally speaking, there's a problem when that sort of thing happens, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially as a team. I mean, I, I like to see what Julio said to <laughs> yeah. um, What did you say, I Steve? Mean, we got Grady Jarrett. We, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, as an edge rusher, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't um, know. I think that's we enough suck. of tack. Lucas, unless you got anything else you want to add to the tack discussion. Not really. I mean, I guess the change of scenery could help, but I don't know. I mean, I heard he's your favorite player. Uh, I mean, we're in top 10, but not top everywhere. five. Let me, <laughs> just real quick, because Lucas is our resident Jets fan, sadly. Uh-huh. That game yesterday was pretty rough for you, Lucas. I'm sorry about that. Or uh, two two days ago, I mean. um. Who who do who do you like the most on the Jets right now? I'm curious. I mean, I mean that's I really have to think about that one. Denzel <laughs> Mims has been a little promising. Um, I like the way I like what he's shown so far. Uh, Kai Becton has that's actually a really good answer. But Kai Becton has been an absolute stud so far. Um, he got hurt. Last game, but you know he's been just absolutely shoving the people out of the way. Um, you know, especially like when they when they run off left, left tackle with him, like it's just insane. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of those two guys, not much. I'm surprised you didn't say Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, you got you got to really hope that he doesn't want to uh, go back to school or like just be like, nah, I'm not getting drafted by the Jets. But let's move on to a different quarterback battle. Quarterbacks from this year, um, well, not drafted this year, but a game that just happened, and that is the Dolphins up against the Cardinals. This was a phenomenal football game. I personally think I didn't get to watch it live, but I did get to watch it back on Game Pass. I honestly believe this is 
a top three football game that happened this year. Honestly, really entertaining. You know, both the story that happened, the scheme, how it unfolded, the ending, everything was really good about this football game. And um, well, I want to talk about Kyler and Tua. I just want to give a quick shout out to this Bengals D, not Bengals, Dolphins defense and and Brian Flores. We can also shout out the Bengals defense, but Brian Flores. I just want to p- quick PSA on Brian Flores because we we were talking about Matt Patricia, how he's not the guy to turn around the organization, and you know, there's this long list of of former Patriots coaches that that go on to new teams that try to implement what what Belichick does of all of the coaches that have that have tried to become the you know bring the the Patriot way to a new organization Brian Flores man he's easily doing that like not you can argue Bill O'Brien of course because he had some decent success but just the you know the, what the Patriots were known for, you know innovation, not in terms of reinventing the wheel of football, but using players in creative ways, especially players that people are were really down on that they were able to get for cheap. Now that player for the Dolphins, I'll go to a different clip, is this man right here, Eric Flowers. Eric Flowers this season the former bust for for the New York Giants. You know, they tried to switch him around from tackle and whatnot, and he was terrible. Giants fans crapped on him every game. He has been absolutely phenomenal as a guard for this football team. He has been really good. If if you want to go, I don't want to show too many clips of offensive line play just because I don't think people would be too interested in that, but just just look up his stats on PFF or whatnot. The guy has been absolutely tremendous. And the way that the Dolphins use him is literally just as an interior tackle almost. He, he never gets really in a three-point stance. You always see him standing up. And, you know, like, it really feels like Brian Flores is bringing this Patriots way, this Patriots identity to this Dolphins team. And... Another way is on the defensive side of the football. So this is the play that they ended up scoring on defense off of. And this is exactly what we saw out of the Patriots last year and two years ago, where you have this this zero blitz look, right, where you just have man coverage across the board and then a free rusher every time. Now, what's really great about this is, A, you're forcing the defense to pick a direction to block. You know, since they've always got one more than you, you know, they're not always rushing. They'll usually have one or, or multiple guys go back out and, and pass defense into a zone to try and, you know, snatch up any underneath passes. And it's just really great execution from this defense. So this is the play that they scored on last week. And just look at the conundrum it creates for this offensive line for blocking. So you see it there. Both of these linebackers initially rush and then bail out to cover some of these underneath routes. And you see that they're able to get a free pass rusher by doing that. So you're forcing offenses to get rid of the ball really quickly while still having one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in coverage. 
So you go from this look here, where it looks like you're blitzing everyone with no safety help, to basically, you know, seven-man pass protection. And, and they're, they're honestly, you know, it's a pattern-matching zone, so they end up, end up scoring on this. I'll just show that. Oh, geez. Yeah, they end up scoring. Sorry for my mad skipping. Um, so, yeah, they end up scoring. This play here is a way better example. Now, this isn't a positive play for the Dolphins, but it really gives you a, a good idea and a good look of how they're running this defense. So, so they line up, right? Seven guys in the line of scrimmage, no safety help. So what they're doing is, first off, they're green-dogging this guy. I know that sounds weird, but basically, if he stays in the block, then this guy on the outside that has him in one-on-one -on -one coverage is pass rushing. You see here, if he goes out on a pass route, bang, he stops and he's in man coverage on. And then they're doing these little looks. So they'll have all these interior guys lined up and always, you know, they'll usually drop out someone. They'll, they'll have someone rush. And it just creates this huge problem for these offensive lines. And they'll interchange any one of these guys dropping out. It doesn't matter. It can be a lineman dropping out. It can be a linebacker. It does not matter. They will have the most random players drop out. Like they have right here, Christian Wilkins, the nose tackle, drop out into an underneath zone. Like when you're initially looking at this, you're thinking, okay, if someone's going to drop out, it's going to be one of these linebackers. Nope, it's Christian Wilkins, the freaking one tech. Like it's just really great innovation. And then on the outside, you have this pattern matching zone. You see here how they pass this off. Other teams, you would think with a, with a zero blitz, would just have a straight-up man coverage. So this D back here would have to follow Larry Fitz, and then he, this D back here, would then have to follow Kirk or, or Andy Isabella, I mean. What they're doing is they're switching this off, this pattern matching zone, so that no matter where these receivers go, their corners are always in better leverage. And this was a staple of the Patriots last year, having one of the best defenses in the NFL, especially when they blitz. You know, there were games where teams were averaging, like, according to advanced stats, basically negative yards. Like, he is bringing this to Miami in a great way. Now, the problem is that you've got such a good quarterback with Kyler Murray. He's able to do stuff like this. But I just wanted to to shout out this this Dolphins defense and what they're doing because they have been insanely dominant this game, or not this game, but this course of the season in terms of creating points, creating beneficial scenarios for their offense. And, like, man, you talk about the defense that the Patriots were able to create. Brian Flores has brought this type of defense in this scheme with the zero blitz to Miami, and it is really coming to fruition. And now we get to the other side of the ball with Tua. I'm not sure much needs to be said about a play like this. It's just the magic that you see from their first-round pick, just finding ways to create yards. You know, people didn't think of Tua as a runner of the football, especially after an injury. This is a great sign to see. Is Not only is he running with the football, He's not going down in a slide. He's lowering his shoulder in there. Like, I don't think, you, you, as a Dolphins fan, there's a better sight to see than that. 
And then here on the next play, here we get to see Tua using his arm to beat the uh, the Cardinals defense here. So my question goes to our resident Cardinals fan, Steed. Not actually a Cardinals fan, what but what? you're a guy that has has really been in love with the Cardinals organization with Kyler Murray for a while now. You've been a guy that's really bought into this hype. You had Kyler Murray pegged as your MVP front runner this season. What are you seeing out of the Cardinals and out of the Dolphins this game, and what are your overall reactions to this game? Well, first of all, the Dolphins were my dog of the week, dude. I've kind of, like, not drifted away from the Cardinals, I would say, but, like, the Dolphins are becoming that, like, underdog team that I'm kind of rooting for. Also, I love Tua, but, like, my biggest takeaway from this game is that, first of all, the biggest story is Kyler versus Tua. I th- you saw like this new like golden age of NFL with these two players like matching up. You see, it, it, it it's just I I felt like coming into this game like it was going to be very well played. You would see like Tua start making plays, and the big thing about like if we go back to that play where you saw like Tua run and drop his shoulder. You know, like for a rookie to do that, I think he that really gains like respect in the locker room too. And for a guy like earn it, trying to earn his keep after Fitzpatrick was having a, a good season, a lot of people didn't want to bench. I mean, you see why Flores made the call to bench Fitzpatrick for Tua there. And like, I'm not saying like Fitzpatrick would obviously drop his shoulder too. He's been that quarterback for years. Like, you see the different kind of level of play, like how just much more expanded the offense is and how more how much dynamic they are. So I do love both of these teams. I think both of these teams made the playoffs this year. But for years to come, I mean, like, the future is bright for both of these teams, and it's only going to go uphill for them from here on out. Yeah, I really like that you brought up that – that um. Lowering the shoulder because this is this was like Fitzmagic's brand, you know. He was the kind of guy he's never sliding, and maybe some of this rubbed off on Tua from Fitzpatrick, a guy that's really polarizing in the locker room. All the Dolphins players loved him. Like, you know, what would they think if they see Tua slide right there? Instead, they see him put his shoulder down. He doesn't care about the injury that took him out from Alabama. Like. I just think that as a Dolphins fan, as a player, you're so right. Like, you love to see this. Yeah, I, I meant to say, you know, as the resident Dolphins fan, not Cardinals fan earlier, because you took him as the dog of the week. Yeah, I misspoke there. Um, and then I went into that Kyler crap. Um, but, yeah, like, this Dolphins team, I want to ask Lucas, too, as a Jets fan, just because, like, what do you see in the difference between the Dolphins now and the Dolphins, like, under your current coach, Adam Gase? Like, it's just a night and day difference of a team. I'm curious as to what you think of that as, as the division rival. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I was literally, I mean, before you said it, I, I was thinking like, you know, it is really night and day. Um, Brian Flores, I think really, I think has turned this team around and, you know, they're really headed in the right direction. I mean, before last season, I mean, I think the Dolphins were kind of pegged as one of the bottom, if not the worst team in the league. And then, you know, just like a season and a half later for them to be competition for a playoff spot is pretty crazy. Um, 
Yeah, too. I mean, in this game, you know, he looked really impressive. I don't know if I'm going to go as far to say he's better than Kyler Murray. Just off, you know, seeing him in just two starts so far, but um, I think the Dolphins are in a pretty good spot with him. And, you know, their front office has done a pretty good job as well. I mean, this draft, they're going to have two first-round picks. One of them is going to be, you know, pretty fairly early since uh, they have the Texans pick as well as their own. Mm-hmm. I think they also have the Texans second. If I might be mistaken there, but I think they also have their second-round pick from that Tunsil trade. So, like, might, you're, yeah. you're right. Like, if that first-round pick and second-round pick are good – plus their own draft capital, like, and with a guy like Brian Flores, like what he's doing on the, on the field now, the way that he has put this team in a position to win. I just think, I, I know I mentioned earlier that, you know, all the hype is around Tua. I just think Tua's done a good job not turning over the ball, but their defense, even though they gave up a decent amount of points this week, like just the way that, they're able to manufacture points and offense and great field position for their team. It's just really mesmerizing to see. It's not something that I necessarily expected out of the Dolphins. We all knew coming into the season that the Dolphins had good cover corners. They paid a lot of money for Byron Jones. Xavier Howard is a one of the most talented corners in the league, especially in man coverage. And they drafted Noah Igbenogany with a first-round pick, but the production that they are now getting out of their front seven is truly remarkable. And it just, it feels like the Patriots, the way that the Patriot would, the Patriots used to be able to just manufacture production out of their front seven, even though they didn't have those top tier pass rushers like the Aaron Donalds or the Cleo Max. Usually, you know, it, it just really felt like a team defense and it, I'm just getting that same feeling now about the Dolphins of that team defense, just everyone doing their job and just a defense that's just hard to game plan around. You know, they line up seven guys and you have no idea who's coming. It's changing every play and it's just hard to hard to score against. I just really love what the Dolphins are doing and I really can't say that enough. Yeah, no, they're the, they're one of the more fun teams to watch, and that's with the Cardinals too. Like anytime these, it's weird now saying that the Dolphins are like must see football when you when the Dolphins are playing. You know, you're kind of like interested to see, and and that's a good point brought up earlier. Like beginning of last season, they were saying this was going that Dolphins team was going to be the worst football team of all time. Now you look at them as must see TV. That just goes more credit to Flores on how he's changed the identity of this team culture. And now with the Patriots falling off and it seems like this is going to be like the bills and dolphins, the dolphins can easily still win this division. They got another game against the bills, a couple slip ups. If they keep on playing hot, they can win this division. I think the other interesting thing is that like, when you look at the dolphins draft class from this year, it's like, it's not even, Aside from Tua, and even without Tua, this is a team, it's it's not like they just had an insane draft class that just propelled them from, from a mediocre football team into something great. You know, I mean, you've seen that from some teams where, oh, they just have a, a ridiculous draft class or a specific draft pick that just all of a sudden elevates their football team. 
you know, regardless of the schemes that they're having. Like, this is a team, most of this season, it's not been a rookie that's stepped up and won them football games. It, it truly has felt like it's it's the team that's coming up together, not any individual player that's all of a sudden carrying them, you know? when aside, like, When you look at the offensive side of the football, it's like, well, if you were to make like an all-star team of NFL players, I'm not sure a single Dolphins player on their offense and for most of their defense would be on that team. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're the ones that are almost the hottest team in football right now, taking out some really talented players and some really talented teams. So it's just really cool to see. And I think you, like all that credit really needs to go to that coaching staff for being able to turn this around, especially without having one of those just ridiculously good, talented draft classes. I definitely agree. I, it's, it's fun to watch a team play just good team ball, you know, just come as a whole and compete. Because, like, you know, it's not a guy you can, like, look, like sometimes, like, maybe not much, but early on in Patrick Mahomes' career, like, it's still very early. But, you know, you point at Patrick Mahomes and be like, okay, he, he won us this game. You look around the Dolphins' locker room, you're pointing at every – of the, every single guy be like, this guy stepped up, made a huge play. Uh, Tua had a huge run, huge conversion. Jordan Howard had a good run on to extend the extend the drive. You know, and that's one thing that I would be scared of as opposing team. If you give an underdog team that a lot of people don't have the expectation for, that's overperforming and they believe in each other, like I mean, it's kind of hard to stop those teams. You know. Um, oh, geez. Oh, geez. I'm screwing it up. I'm screwing everything up. Oh, geez. Um, all right. I think that's enough talk on the Dolphins. Let's get into the segment that hopefully everyone's been waiting for. The picks. This is where the money is made. Um, I'm going to go first. So I, I had a, a relatively rough week last week. I went like three and five. Stinks because I was on a on a decent streak, you know, going one or two games above 500 for the most part. Um, uh, I don't, I think me, me and you, Steve, we kind of both started the season off kind of rough and that middle stretch, we started doing really well. And then I think, I don't, I don't know how you did specifically last week. I know we both hit on our dogs of the week, which is nice, but um, I did not have a very successful week last week. Um, but we're turning around this week. And I'm turning around with a teaser. My teasers have cooled off, but we're getting them back. I'm taking two this week. First one, I'm taking the Steelers minus one against the Bengals. And the char- it's a six-point teaser. And the Chargers plus eight and a half against the team that we've been hyping up, the Dolphins. Um, I just think that that Chargers-Dolphins game, by the law of Chargers, that it will be a close game. Because that's just how the Chargers roll. Good or bad, no matter who the Chargers play, it's going to come down to the last possession. So we get that game, two scores. Chargers game is going to come down to the last possession. And I'll hopefully hit on that teaser, as long as the Steelers are able to win against a rookie quarterback at Heinz Field. Okay. I like that. Um, yeah, I, 
this week is weird because like last week I really liked my slate. I think I went like five and three, but um, I'm just gonna start out. I got Broncos plus five here against the Raiders. Like I know we're a huge oh, Raiders. Oh, this podcast. is a Raiders podcast. Yeah, I, I know, but dude, I think a five points for the Broncos is a lot of points for me, and especially oh, like a Broncos team. You. That, this is a Raiders. I mean, like, dude, how can you pick against the Raiders? You, you picked against the Raiders. This is the first. This is the first week I picked against the Raiders. No, I've never picked. I'm, against I'm the taking Raiders the Broncos my entire five, life. Though. Never once. Bull crap! I think you you picked uh you picked the Patriots against the Raiders. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. I just see I picked him in my pickums, but not on the card for the podcast. Um, Lucas, if you want to say some picks, you, you can sure? go ahead and say whatever picks you like this week. Yeah, I'm, I usually don't look at the picks, you know, this early in the week because, like I said, I don't like to uh, look at the lines or anything before I do. Oh, before um, you do your my picks, my right. article. But I'm taking a look now. Um, and one thing that kind of catches my eye a little bit, the Sunday night game between the Ravens and the Patriots, I like, I like the over in that the line's only 43 and a half. Um, and I mean, obviously the Patriots have kind of had their struggles on offense. Um, you know, on Monday night, they were going up against the Jets. So maybe you have to take this with a grain of salt, but Cam Newton looks pretty good against the Jets, you know, just in terms of his accuracy. Um, I mean, the Ravens offense, you know, they're going to perform on any given day. Um, so, I mean, you only need to get to 44 points. Patriots gave up 27 to the Jets on Monday night. I think the Ravens can do at least that. I mean, even if the Ravens score 27, you just need 17 from the Patriots. So I think um, pretty pretty good odds and definitely in the realm of possibility that, you know, this is – pretty easily over 43 and a half. I think I might be taking that now because you are the over under guy. It seems like. So listen, I, I like that pick a lot. I didn't look at the over under yeah. line this week. Um, I think you're right. I think that the, the Patriots offense is going to catch a little bit more fire than it has in recent weeks. I mean, you have to remember when the Patriots had like that, that 10 point game against the Broncos and whatnot, they were barely practicing the in the in those weeks in that middle of the season because of covid um you know now i think that the patriots we're going to see him in a groove and speaking of i'm taking the patriots as my dog of the week you know i it's a tough game against baltimore but i honestly believe even though they had a crap game against the jets i think that the patriots are on an uptick and the baltimore ravens have been struggling recently even though they just came off a, a good win against the Colts, you know, a double-digit win. That Ravens offense has some problems, especially throwing the football. I think that if the Ravens aren't able to challenge the, the Patriots secondary like they, they did in that first matchup when the Ravens pasted the Patriots, I think this could be a different, a, a completely different ball game. I would not be surprised if the Patriots got completely blown out, to be, to be honest. Like, you, you know, you don't know what you're getting out of this Patriots team. But I think that the Patriots are going to be ready to play this week, and this could be kind of a, a trap game for a Ravens team that's thinking, oh, we blew them out last time we played. This is a different Patriots team. 
for better or for worse, it's a completely different team. It's, it feels like a different system. So I'm curious to see how a struggling Ravens offense performs against this Patriots team. I think as long as the Cam Newton and the Patriots don't turn the ball over and just hand the Ravens points, this could, this could be a one-score game. So I like the spread a lot more than the money line. But, hey, this is dog of the week. Go hard or go home. Patriots money line. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to be telling it over at 43 and a half as well, but this isn't my dog pick, but I'm going to be picking a dog here. I'm taking Bills plus two against the Cardinals. I think this is my third week in a row picking against the Cardinals, but I mean, just looking at the Bills as road underdogs in their last eight games, they're five and one, two against the spread. And Arizona has just beaten the spread once in their past six home games as as home favorites. So I'm I know this is like the Cardinals like fourth game at home and like they're bound to like pick up one here. I just still think like the Bills are a better complete team. Has their defense been that top five unit from the past two years we've seen? No, they haven't been that yet. I think they're starting to get into that mold. I know they gave up 30-something points against the Seahawks, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you're playing Russ, and that was Russ's worst game of the year. And um, so I like the Bills covering the spread here at plus two. I'm also going to be taking a dog, Um, another dog, not my dog of the week, mainly because this is kind of a cop-out dog of the week. I'm not even sure they're going to end as a dog. Um, After our – Crashing of the Seahawks defense, I'm going to be taking them money line this week. Um, one of the main reasons why is, as I pointed out earlier, I think the Seahawks are a team that is most susceptible to four receiver sets where they're spreading out the field. The Rams have only lined up in four receiver sets, four snaps this season. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if they try to make that change coming into this game. It's going to be something I look out for. But I think that if the if the Rams go with their traditional game plan of trying to develop the run and using a lot of play action, I actually think that plays into the Seahawks' strength a little bit in terms of, you know, they try to put the Seahawks linebackers in a bind and work off them. The Seahawks linebackers are the best part of that defense. And, and this is a game where I think that if they're able to hold the Rams to under 30 points, this is a win for the Seahawks. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to be going against you here. I got Rams minus one and a half. Uh, the Seahawks are two and a six against the spread in their last eight trips to LA. So they struggle there. Uh, the Rams, I like them coming off a bye. Uh, Jalen Ramsey's back. Um, Henderson's back. I, I, I know this is like all pointed to, like, especially if you get a Seahawks team as an underdog, like, you is feel reluctant to take them but like i i kind of like ryan with the rams here also i i kind of like when we go head to head here and picks you know yeah some spark some controversy yeah um my next pick i'm gonna be taking the bucks minus five um i think this is just a bounce back week for the bucks the line's a little bit larger than i would have liked i would have loved to get them at like a a three and a half or a four with the um with the Panthers coming off a good week against the Chiefs and the Bucks coming off a bad week against the against the Saints, but it, it's Brady, man. Brady is is king of the bounce back. He's had games where he's performed poorly before. 
but he's the kind of guy he doesn't let him let it affect his play throughout the rest of the season. Um, we're still seeing a little bit of of shakiness in in terms of the connection with his receiver, with his receivers and his understanding of the offense. But I think that as the season goes on, that this was kind of a wake up week for Brady and this Bucks team. Um, and I think that this this is the exactly what they needed to kind of turn that gear towards the postseason to to really drill home. Like, listen, you know, we had a bad game against the Giants. We had a bad, a really bad game against the Saints. Let's go out here and beat up on a worse Panthers team, a young Panthers team. Even though I I really like the Panthers and what they've been doing, I think that the Bucks easily win this by a touchdown. I'm going to hit on my dog of the week. I got the uh, Giants against the Eagles. Uh, yeah, I, I like how the Giants have been playing. Like, I, I, Their offense is god-awful because Daniel Jones turns it over every other play, it seems like. But, I mean, their defense steps up. And we look at this game last time they played on Thursday night. The Giants should have won. They had a two-score lead going in, like, what was it, like almost midway in the fourth quarter. Should have won that game. Uh, but the Giants are five and one against the spread in their last sixty games. I'll easily take plus three and a half there. Also, I kind of like this because it doesn't make sense. Philly's eight and zero against the Giants straight up in their last eight meetings. So something's got to give, and I think the Giants. This is when they squeak one out right here and put them back into that conversation in the East. Yeah, that that's interesting because. I've been a guy that's been on and off of the Giants. You know, two weeks ago, I took them as my dog of the week. Then the next week, I was saying, yeah, I'm fading the Giants. Um, you know, after watching the Giants a little bit, I'll give them credit because the beginning of the season, Giants versus the Giants now, they seem like different teams because this is a Giants team that's been in some really close ball games. They're really fighting hard. I think that Joe Judge is, you know, really starting to have his imprint on the um, – on this football team. And while I'm not sure this is a team that's going to win a ton of games the rest of the season, I see this Giants team going one of two ways. They either really get their crap together and this win this week and take the division, or they let the situation that they have right now get get to them and then they just kind of flop and end up with one of the top picks. So I think this is a big week for the Giants. And you know, I was really thinking about taking their spread. I'm taking their spread on my pick them. But my next pick this week is going to be Cleveland minus three and a half. I'm not super confident in this pick, but I am confident in that the Texans' defense sucks. So <laughs> I think that sucky defenses are a good matchup for Cleveland. This is a team that can at least control the football. Baker Mayfield has been much less turnover-prone recently. So I think that getting Nick Chubb back is really big for this Cleveland offense and they should be able to control the ball as long as they're able to play some good, some good Cleveland Browns defense. I think they might be able to get a win here. Yeah. I'm uh, on the Browns as well. Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'll go with an underdog pick here. Um, I was thinking of who my underdog would be for the week who I was going to talk about. And first I was going to go, oh, okay, I'll take the Bills over the Cardinals. And then Steed said that. And then I was like, all right, I'll just talk about the Seahawks then. And then Frank goes right after with the Seahawks. So I'll go with another one. Um, but the Bears, uh, they're three-point underdogs against the Vikings. Uh, at home, by the way. 
And I think really this just comes down to whether or not they can slow down Dalvin Cook. And, I mean, obviously that's easier said than done. Um, but the Bears' defense is pretty good. Kirk Cousins really has not been good this year. I don't think by himself he's going to be any team. Um, and, you know, the Bears, um, I think they can they can um, hopefully you know, have some success against the Vikings' defense, which hasn't been that good either this year. Um, and I mean, they just have to score more than three points in the first three quarters, which <laughs> seems to be what they've been doing every game this year. Um, but yeah, like I like the Bears to beat the Vikings at home this week. Yeah, I got Bears uh, plus three as well. And I mean, like we can't ignore the fact that, I mean, Kirk Cousins about to play a Monday night football game. So <laughs> I feel like you got to take, take the Bears. Like, this is, like, my last pick, and I was just going to say, the Vikings are favored on Monday night. It smells like it's just, yeah, Kirk Cousins doesn't show up on Monday night. Everybody knows that. So Yeah, basically, for those who don't know, Kirk Cousins has a terrible record on Monday night football. He just plays like dog crap on Monday night. I, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but – but they'll, they'll show you on ESPN. Yeah, they'll show you. When, that when, game, you, when you watch the game, they'll show you his terrible record on Monday night. Was, the, um, was Kirk Cousins kneel instead of spike on a Monday night game? I think so, yes. Oh, my <laughs> God, that was ridiculous. Um, I think I have to pull that up if I can find a way to get out of this. Um, but real quick, as I'm looking this up, my last pick, Second to last pick. My second he's 0 and 8. Jesus. Um, my second to last pick is gonna be the Washington football team. Plus four against the Lions. I I have to take this after just basically calling for Matt Patricia's job. I have to take Washington, right? I'm just gonna assume that for a third week in a row, the Lions are gonna line up a a couple snaps with ten guys in the field. And I know the Redskins' offense with one-legged Alex Smith do suck. The the ten-man Lions, you know, it, come on. There's ten guys on the field. They should be able to to move the ball. I can't believe it's zero and eight. Jesus Christ! Are, the, are those all your no picks, Steve? Yeah, those are all my picks. It's not. I think I have six games. Like it's not. We'll plus that over. Probably seven. It's not that many. Yeah, I like this week is weird. I don't really like the Lions too much. Like, see, I got the Browns, Giants. Uh, well, I got one last pick. I have. Um, I have another teaser. It's my second teaser this week. I'm taking. It's a six and a half point teaser, not a six pointer. The Saints minus two and a half and the Seahawks plus eight. That's my even though it's kind of bad odds, it's lock, it's a lock teaser of the week. Okay, let's see if this will load. Having some struggle loading. Before we end the episode, we can all bask in Kirk Cousins kneeling instead of spiking. I don't think this is gonna work. Um Come on, load. Well, looks like this might not be working. So, um, dang, I wanted to end the episode on this.
Yep. So that's probably going to be going to do it for us here. Sorry, I couldn't get that to work there at the end of the episode. But if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Lucas, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, hopefully your column does well this week. If you're yeah, interested, me. check it out on thirdand20.com. It'll probably be coming out Friday. Um, but other than that, thank you so much and peace out. I was scared of dentists and the dark. I was scared of pretty.